0: Welcome to the What is Happening in Salt Lake podcast series, brought to you by slc.gov and the Salt Lake Small Business Development Center. The purpose of the podcast series is to review topics relevant to Salt Lake-based business owners and startups, as well as to highlight success stories from other entrepreneurs.
1: Welcome everyone to our second edition of Startup SLC podcast series. This is a series with Salt Lake City Corporation, Economic Development Department, and the Salt Lake Community College Small Business Development Center. And today we have a very special guest, um, Mr. Jorge Fierro himself from Rico Brand, here to tell us about Rico and some recent updates to his business and how he's surviving through COVID. So first of all, we'll go around the room and do introductions and then we'll jump right into it. So I am Roberta Reichelt with Salt Lake
0: City, yeah, I'm Will Wright with Salt Lake City Economic Development. Peter Collister with the Salt Lake Small Business Development Center, and Jorge
2: Jorge Fierro, owner of uh, Rico Brand, owner of Frida Bistro, which is no longer in business, and Rico Catering. I also used to have a little market downtown called Rico Mexico Market. Thank
1: you. So, Jorge, let's just jump right into it. Tell us about Rico. How long have you been around? How did you get started?
2: All right, well, thank you, Roberta. Rico Brand started 22 years ago. And I started selling the la olla pinto beans, which are just fully cooked, ready to eat pinto beans, whole beans, the downtown farmer's market in 1997. The idea, obviously, was to come up with a niche and a business uh, trend that that back in the day really didn't exist that much. Uh, My parents came to Utah and my mother, she, you know, as a great cook that most moms are, told me that she was going to cook for us from Monday through Saturday. And then that I was going to be in charge of dinner on Sundays. And, you know, as you know, back in the days, you wouldn't find a lot of restaurants open on Sundays. Uh, We're not much of a fast food crowd. And so I found myself going to supermarkets, trying to find things that were either prepared or semi-prepared for me to be able to put a dinner together. And, you know, in that time I I realized that Mexican cuisine didn't really have a lot of products other than frozen taquitos and frozen tamales, and probably a lot of very low quality products in the Mexican cuisine. And so that's what pretty much motivated me to, to start a business. I, I didn't want to be, you know, another person that came from another country and opened a restaurant just catered to Americans of that cuisine. I used that, you know, I needed to look for a niche. And obviously the niche was a ready-to-eat packaged uh, Mexican food, fresh, with no preservatives and no additives. And I took the time to launch the business at the Salt Lake Downtown Farmer's Market. That one obviously uh, proved to be the right move. And, and people started, you know, really getting the hang of prepared foods back in the days. As I said, um not a whole lot of prepared foods were out there, and so the first year, I only had the beans and I had a creamy salsa that, that I started making again, which is fantastic. It's pretty really good. It's my mom's recipe. The second year, 1998, I had 10 different items and I was really excited because I had rented a little corner on South and Fifth, that later became Rico Market and Catering. But, you know, the farmer's market allowed me to launch a different line of products such as tamales and tortillas and, and tortilla chips and salsas. I mean, you name it. I always treat my customers of farmer's market as my guinea pigs. You know, they're, they're the ones that can tell me whether they like product or not. And so anyways, that's how Rico Brand was born. Back in, you know, 1998 was probably the year that I started formally as a Rico Brand. That's really
0: interesting. I mean, the model that you're talking about is kind of like the Nell scale it model uh, that technology companies use today, where you create something small, sell it at the farmer's market, validate that it's a great idea and then take it to your market.
2: Yeah, you know, it's pretty interesting. The way that I did it, it's a pretty wholesome product. Uh, once again, we use no preservatives, no additives. Most of the products that you can find in supermarkets under the RICO label only have 14 to 21 day shelf life. So in other ways, I had to truly take the time and educate consumers and Americans in this case that, you know, food that has preservatives and additives is what we regard to dead food. Uh, you can leave it in your pantry and or your refrigerator forever. And you can go back in a month and it's still there, right? Rico, on the other hand, I call it live food because if you don't consume it within a certain period of time, then that food starts growing mold And that's what happens with live food. And it's really unique because nowadays I want to scale it, but I can't. I went to see a piece of equipment that would allow me to package everything quickly and with a seal and and the the food doesn't behave well. It's really unique. It goes to show you that this is not scalable to a point where you can really become a multi million dollar company. You can take the model and take it to another town and open another one over there. Right. But it's really unique what we do because everything, as I said, is fresh and it proved to be the right move for us.
1: Well, tell us about how you've scaled so far, because clearly you have started You started at the farmer's market and now you've grown you know, over the past few decades quite exponentially. So tell us about that process.
2: Well, you know, I've always made really unique moves when it comes down to where to position my products. I'm not really sure, but most people probably don't realize it, that if it's something that doesn't sell in any supermarkets, I have to credit that 100%. I had to buy a back, you know? So with the promise that I was going, that I guaranteed the product 100%, our supermarkets opened their doors because they really have nothing to lose. And, and so the promise of keeping those refrigerators clean, in good shape, nicely decorated with Rico decals and, and, and Rico strips and things like that, but also servicing those refrigerators and or freezers twice, sometimes even three times a week. So I decided to start hiring people I mean, you're not going to believe this, but I still send my drivers to a supermarket to take an inventory today for tomorrow's delivery. Right? People may think, well, geez, I'm sure that there are, you know, different systems out there that can help you do that. But in reality, as I said, and I call it from the beginning, is a niche. Right? But I have always been very careful, and I have always studied every single market, depending on what economical area those markets are found. And that's how I position either more product or less product based on the sales that I think that I'm going to have in that market. And because of the fact that I've been taking my time, I mean, don't forget, it's already 22 years, guys, I started this business. A lot of people and a lot of really successful companies, you know, looked at me and said, well, I mean, after two years, you're only, you know, you're only making this much. But for me, it's a way of living. It's, this is what I do for a living. This is what my heart is into. I love what I do. And, you know, of course, I would like to make it into a big company. But at the end of the day, You have to do the right thing, right? And so we've grown slowly, but surely with the community too. I mean, don't don't forget the population 20 years ago wasn't as big as it is now. So what I'm doing, and it's really unique though, because people will come to the little market and they bring their kids with them. Now those kids are millennials and they start buying my product because they've been fed that product for many years, right? So in a sense, I sort of a kind of a put time into it, and the time has allowed me to expand my distribution because those generations now are buyers, right, are consumers, and that's more or less how I build it up.
0: hey, I'd be curious to hear, and sorry if I'm throwing you a curveball, but given your relatively unique business model, do you feel like Salt Lake City's kind of lended itself to your success being a kind of a distribution center, the crossroads of the West?
2: Yes, by far. The fact is that we are in a very unique position geographically. I mean, this is a jewel, you guys. Salt Lake City is positioned so well. And you're right. I can from here, go. I mean, I have gone all the way to Jackson, Wyoming, right? So I can go to so many markets that can sustain the price point. And, and the fact is that being in Salt Lake and the facility of jumping in any freeway and going up north, east, west, or south has allowed me, you know, for some growth, obviously.
0: Yeah. So how big is your geographical footprint?
2: You know, right now is, you know, up to Northern, Northern, Ogden, North Ogden and all the way down to Springville. Um, I had a few products, uh, Harmon's in, uh, St. George and Santa Clara, but it's really difficult to hire someone out there and being able to give the kind of a service that I'm used to giving. Right. So I decided to retrieve that. And so North Ogden to Springville up to Hebert and then to Twella. That's, that's it. That's all I have. I used to do a lot with Winter Farms. And as you know, they're no longer in business. But now I'm working with associated food stores. And they decided to start taking on 15 different frozen products for 65 stores. And the promise of being in 500 plus stores in nine different states is there. And I'm working with them because there's a lot of potential for me to grow with those guys.
0: Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's that's incredible.
2: Thank you. How has
0: COVID impacted your business?
2: You know, I may say that I was probably one of the first companies that that had to shut down for two weeks and quarantine all my employees. Fortunately, uh, the PPP loan came handy when uh, Science Bank helped me acquire that loan. And that truly became my salvation because I sent all my employees, I shut it down. I had to remember, I remember uh, having to go over to the post office and get a PO box because I had told absolutely every single one of my employees, you will get fully paid, but you, uh, you have to stay home. You cannot leave, you cannot, you know, pass it on to your family. And they actually did it really well. But at the same time, You know, I say that I was one of the lucky ones because I think that it was in April when I shut it down for two weeks, but we produced and had enough that towards the two weeks, my areas in the supermarkets were so thin that they started calling me, right? Saying, hey, if you don't bring product, we're going to have to give those areas to another business. But as soon as I told them that we had to shut down because of COVID, everybody understood. And more so when I told them that I had sent absolutely everyone with a so they can quarantine, they were like, you know what, okay, you're doing the right thing. The space is going to be here for whenever you're ready. And it took us a little bit of a time to get there. Did I lose money? Of course I did, but I didn't lose one of my employees. And that's the best part of it, my brother. I mean, at the end of the day, doing the right thing, you know, can, can take you places. Now, at the same time, on the, on the other side, simply because of the fact that the restaurants, a lot of them are shut down, my sales had increased about 30 to 35%. And I call my employees essential because we feed and eat a lot of people in this valley. Unfortunately, we were the first ones to contract COVID. Nine of my employees came positive and that's when we shut it down. But fortunately, my sales have increased because of the you know, type of business I own.
1: So Jorge, you've had 22 years of experience in the business. Why don't you go through some of the biggest challenges you faced over those years and, and how you've overcome them for our listeners?
2: Well, listen, through the 22 years that I've been in business, nothing but growth, right? you have you've never going to hear anything negative on my end. The experience that I have acquired has been incredible. But at the same time, some obstacles have come along the way. And one of them is, you know, you start a business at the farmer's market. And, and it's so unique that when the USDA or the Department of Agriculture or the health department ask you to be in a place that meet requirements, there are not that many places out there ready for a small business my size, right? So the first one was to be able to find the proper location with everything that is necessary for me to produce and meet every single requirement there is out there, right? But along the way, through the Utah Department of Agriculture, the health department, the city, I have always found the resources, whether it was the perfect re- you know, resource right at that moment, maybe not. But the three that I, that I started working with were willing to meet me halfway and help me out with permits and help me out with experience that some of them do have that I didn't. And so I'm, I'm very blessed at the fact that the obstacles that I have had have always been met. The other one, another obstacle is when you start growing and, and you really financially are not sound. You know, a couple of banks, I mean, one of them, the Utah Micro Enterprise loan Fund came first and they helped me with a small loan because back in the days I wasn't bankable. I didn't have you know, a hefty credit buildup and I wasn't bankable. So I went to the Utah micro Loan Fund. Later, I became a board member. And then one time I sat in their credit committee for years to approve loans for a small business. So along the way, the obstacles that I have ever had and issues that I've had, you know, turn them around and with, help from different agencies i was able to overcome those obstacles uh, mostly i think that they're probably financial those are probably the biggest and more intricate obstacles that we come across but maybe the biggest one was having to convince americans how to consume fresh food i mean americans are so used to as i said buying things that last forever or buying something in a fast food restaurant and eat it right away. And so having to train or educate, I should say, Americans of how to consume fresh food is probably one of my biggest obstacles because, as I said, you know, when, when the product doesn't sell in supermarkets, I have to guarantee it 100%. And so in the beginning, I I end up, you know, donating a lot of my food to the rescue mission and to the shelter. And, and that was the biggest obstacle.
0: What trends are you seeing in the Salt Lake food space? You've been around a couple of decades. What are things things you see emerging as common on the food scene?
2: Well, I think that's a great question. I started doing the, the winter farmer's market and I think that people are, are are kind of getting the hang of, you know, we're going back to basins. You have people who have farms and they grow certain items that they know how to grow them well. And they know how to process them, some of them, and even make products for people available. We have a lot more vendors of prepared foods. But at the same time, the vegan population in, in Utah is growing so much. And they're so aware of what some of us are making. And the new trends are fantastic, you know. People in Utah, believe it or not, are becoming foodies. People really want fresh products. People want products that are grown or raised by locals, local companies. And people are becoming extremely aware of supporting locally owned and operated business in Salt Lake City.
1: Right. I actually was curious about that. You're probably pretty popular with the vegan crowd. Yeah, I am. Almost all your products are,
2: I would think. I am. You know, I think that this kid, James, he owns Seasons. It's a restaurant on 14th. South and State Street. And I asked them to make me some vegan cheese for me to make some uh, vegan tamales, queso con rajas. And I announced it to my social media and the vegans came running to get that tamale. And they all, you know, saying, hey, Jorge, when are you going to get some enchiladas? And when are you going to get some, you know, now I'm putting together a list of everything that we made that is vegan. And people are going to be crazy because as I go, I keep on perfecting my dishes. You know, I try to use less animal content on, For instance, Mexican rice, there is no secret that it's better when you do it with chicken broth, right? But if you do, then it's not suitable for vegans. And so I decided to find a product that is totally vegan, that gives it the same flavor, and now vegans can have my rice, right? So that's another trend that is happening. We producers are gearing some of our efforts to pretty much cater to every person that comes along and asks for help, right? And vegans are one of them. So
0: you recently moved. So if you could talk a little bit about that and then maybe what you see happening for Rico Brands in the near future.
2: Yeah, I am so grateful to be able to find a location within Salt Lake City. About four months ago, I received a eviction letter from the place that, that I worked out of for the last 18 years. Somebody bought the property and they had some plans and I needed to move. I didn't see it coming. Uh, I knew that it was coming, but I, in other ways, I, I didn't really have that much time to find the space. And so a good friend of mine, Kathy Stevenson, the food writer for Salt uh, Solid Tribune, reached out and she wanted to, you know, write about it. And because of that, the Pattersons, which they owned Western Foods Services for 50 years, reached out and said, you know, okay, because of COVID, we shut down our business and we have a small place, maybe too small for you it may work. So I came and looked at it and I ended up uh, making an offer in that building. They were kind enough to accommodate me. And and at the end of it, they sold the building It's pretty much west of downtown. So I'm still in Salt Lake City. I'm very close, even closer to, you know, farmer's market. But the great thing about it is that I found a space that fits my needs perfectly. And not only that though, but financially I can sustain the price point. And I'm very, I'm very lucky. Rico Brand now is at 945 Folsom Avenue in Salt Lake City, Utah. I will be able to do an open house where people can just come by and grab a bite and adult beverage and just walk around and see our new space. But I am very blessed because of the fact that it puts Rico in a in a great position. I almost faced having to shut down my company. Now I am going to start doing more sales because the building is allowing me to increase my production based on the fact that we only concentrate on Rico brand no more Rico catering and no more Frida Visto. you know a lot of people think people have come knocking the door and ask if we serve as a restaurant and I said no I said we don't have enough space for a restaurant we will eventually you know once the Folsom awesome, uh, awesome uh, Folsom Trail Folsom Trail opens and, and is fully developed, I may be able to come, come up with the idea of, of opening a smaller restaurant in front of the building. But in the meantime, I think that I now can rest sure that if anything were happen, you know, my, my wife and my kids and my mother, for that matter, are pretty in good position to own a building, own a business that is so respected. And once again, I mean, Utah's not recall really well, and I'm so proud of it. And I am so blessed and thankful for it.
1: Jorge, do you, can you talk about that a little bit more about the importance of owning a building? Because like you said, you were for a few years leading up to the letter that you got, you were kind of just in this period of this could happen anytime now. Uh, they could sell the building. I'm at the whim of my landlord. And now you're in a solid location that you own. So talk about how that gives you the confidence to move forward, the sustainability of your business.
2: Let me tell you first, as a small business and as a someone that I feel that I have certain degree of success, one of the mistakes that I made is thinking that I needed it bigger and better. If I would have had taken the time to look for something that fit my needs, I probably wouldn't have found myself in this position. Right. So having said that, what I want to say out there is even if you don't own and even if you don't have a lot of money, you can always find something that fits your needs and you don't need anything bigger than that as long as you can own a piece of property. If you can own a piece of property, your business would, you know, triple the value of it, right? But you have to make sure that you tap into programs with economic development, for instance, and try to see what areas are available and and exist. You know, there are programs out there that exist. In the beginning, once you start dating things all what they should, I realized that the programs that the city have, for instance, are are incredible. I just couldn't, uh, you know, take the time to... I worry more about making sure that I wouldn't shut my business down instead of trying to say, okay... What kind of programs are there, you know, that I can benefit from? How can the city help me acquire or buy a property in different areas? I should have done that a long time ago. However, now that I do, I can tell you that it would allow me to concentrate on what's more most important. And what's most important is to acquire a group of employees that want to work for a good company, for a fair company, and create a nice retirement plan for my employees. See? Now owning a business would allow me to hire more people and to give them security. I mean, nobody comes into my company and work for less, start for less than $13 an hour, right? So in the industry, you have to pretty much, you know, create a base when it comes down to, well, how are you going to be able to sustain a good group of workforce that are always going to be putting a very consistent product out there? Well, owning my own business, my own building, and being able to see that I can sustain the price point of the building would allow me to create some program for my own employees. The same time allows me to make the next move of what else am I going to install in my business in my building so that way I can increase my production and I can be more efficient the way I'm doing it because it doesn't matter how much money I spend everything that I do is going to belong to the business when in reality back then I mean I remember that between the restaurant and the catering and the, and the warehouse I spent over a million dollars that I, I I was never able to recuperate right. In this building, once that I started, you know, putting money into it, everything goes for my growth. Everything goes for the value of not only my building, but my business itself. And then it assures my employees that they don't have to worry about maybe losing this job and having to go somewhere else. And so, I mean, for me, you know, I should have done this many, many, many years ago, but kind of a live learning, right? From the beginning of this podcast, I said, everything that I've gone through has been nothing but an election. Everything that i gone through, I learned. And now I can apply it on an everyday basis, right? Well, Jorge, I'm looking forward to doing that open
0: house. I want to safe to do so and walking around your new property with old drink. I just have one more final question for you. You've given a tremendous amount of advice so far. What additional advice would you give an entrepreneur in the food space who is where you were at when you started in 1998?
2: I think that the most important one is whatever city you reside, just go to their city building and look into economic development, look into, into the different programs that the different cities have in place, excuse me, to help a small business and to help large business, mid-sized business and new business and get involved, get, get involved, you know, be, be on a board, stay with, with the times, try to figure what's up there that can benefit you and help you grow. So that way you don't have to go through so many headaches and so many disappointments. When in reality, I mean, oftentimes, not until we see it coming is when we realize that there was a program out there that existed for I don't know how many years, but it didn't exist in my head, right? So one of the things that I said is just look it up. Now you can search. And you can find so many different programs out there, and not only with the city, but with the state and also with the federal government. You know, I also took, I took advantage of um, a small business administration for the loan for the building. But the city was has a program that would allow me to get the money. If I wouldn't have gotten from the small business administration, I would have tapped into the city's loan program. So I think that that is the most valuable piece of advice that I can give. It's just be very receptive to what's out there that can help you grow your business.
0: Well, that's awesome. Thank you, Jorge. Speaking for Roberta and Will, we really appreciate you coming on and riding us with your expertise and experience.
2: Well, let me tell you, Roberta and Will have always knocked my door for, for years now. And for that, I'm grateful. Uh, I'm very grateful that you became involved and, and, and you called me one day and said, how can I help? Oh. I'm very grateful that the city was able to see that a small business and a very well-known business was in dire straits, And you guys came up and offered what's available. You did not mean anything that you couldn't offer to any other citizen or any other person. And for that, I'm very, very grateful and very thankful for what you do. I, I really want to appreciate absolutely everybody in Salt Lake City and in Utah for the support and the growth in my business is only because of the fact that you consume Rico brand almost in the daily basis. And if you don't, I hope you do. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Jorge. I appreciate you.
1: Thanks, Jorge. Thank
2: you.